electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, BlackRock's Larry Fink, the CEO of the world's largest money manager on getting past COVID-19. We need politicians. We need business leaders to show more compassion. We need to be more courageous. We were witnessing many, many states reopening, but reopening without wearing masks. I mean, we need a world of compassion. And that compassion is meaning wearing a mask and learning from the 2008 financial crisis. These are very different policies and programs than 2008. I think our present situation is far more difficult because it's touching so many parts of our economy. Plus, the coronavirus continues to impact some of America's most watched companies, Netflix, Twitter, and cruise ships. The CDC announced it's going to ban U.S. cruises through September, and I wonder if they were booked. It's Friday, July 17th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. Joe, it's Friday. It's uh, it's somebody's birthday tomorrow, too. Trying to get to you early. Somebody's yeah, birthday. Yeah, well, I'm trying to get to you early. Uh, Andrew's out, so I have to find some way to annoy uh, you. Yeah, no, I figured, uh, what'd you ask for for your birthday? And Andrew's out. Uh, your, birthday is, <laughs> your, your birthday is tomorrow, right? Tomorrow. It's not today. Yeah. Damn. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. I hate that when that happens. But it's Friday. Everybody deserves to be embarrassed about their birthday when it happens. Uh, So we're going to do it anyway. We're going to do it anyway. This is uh, this is the last day you'll be what what, what, 19, a hey 19 from uh, Steely Dan. It's the last day. you'll Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Our top corporate story this morning (laughs) is Netflix and uh, the shares are under pressure. The company warning investors about subscriptions in the current quarter that will fall below estimates now expects to add 2.5 million paid subscribers globally in the third quarter. That's significantly below the 5.4 million that subscribers uh, that analysts were expecting. As for the second quarter, earnings fell short of consensus. Revenue, though, did beat, but it's all about subscriber growth. Um, I guess they, uh, last quarter it was 16 million, like COVID-type, not, not COVID uh, uh, additions, but because of everybody being locked in, that was a huge number last quarter, Becky. And they were expecting, yeah. on, or they had only guided to 7.5 million additions this uh, last quarter. The one I'm talking about the previous quarter was 16 million. The one just ended right. was, uh, was 10. But, but they had forecast only 7.5. Right. So it was 33% above what they had forecast. Uh, but some people thought it was Which- down from 16 and it's never enough. Yeah, it's just I don't know why people are surprised by this. If you pull so many subscribers forward, you, you might exactly. anticipate that, that the growth would slow down a little bit at some point. There's you know only so many people who are going to do this. We were starting to get out a little more. But I don't know that it changes the long term trajectory for the company. Right. Um, 
this guy that that is. I guess he already was. Uh, Reed Hastings said he already was co-CEO, but it's, it's official yeah. now. In other news, Netflix also announcing it's appointed uh, Ted Sarandos co-CEO along with Reed Hastings. Uh, this gentleman was previously the chief content officer, where they just are head and shoulders, really. I, I guess above uh, most other places. Here's what uh, they both said on the conference call. Reed and I have worked together for more than 20 years. Uh, he's been an unbelievable role model and source of inspiration for me. Um, we've navigated some of the toughest decisions the company has made over those years, from mailing DVDs around the U.S. to streaming around the world. And my focus is to continue the successful train we've been on uh, for the next 200 million subs around the world. Ted's got big plans to spend uh, future billions in our uh, movies and series and animation. And uh, so, you know, we got we got lots of uh, places to put the money. Um, and we're definitely uh, focused on creating franchises. And the, the shares this year uh, have done pretty well, uh, obviously, as you can see down today. But yeah. uh, looking at uh, that, is that a, that's a year to date <laughs> chart. So the stock has done well. And, and 51 percent year to date. It's great to be able yeah. to have <laughs> such an unbelievable amount uh, of content and um I saw. I have seen extraction. I haven't seen the whole thing, but that was pretty good with that. Uh, I that big bulky uh, Aussie Aussie guy, uh, either Liam or Chris, one of them, one of the Hensworth. He's in it, uh, but it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Pretty. Uh, you can't to- tell the difference between Liam and Chris Hemsworth. I don't know which name is which. It's the big guy. It's the dark one- hair or blonde hair. A blondish hair, kind of a sandy blonde, blonde. A similar body to mine. Not the other guy. The one that looks sort of like. Uh, <laughs> Can't say I follow that description. Yeah, I did. I, 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 I get. Yeah. Are we get? Are you gonna get a cake? Can I send a cake tomorrow? Uh, sh- sure. I, I don't sure. have one. I, there's no surprise coming if you're sitting there waiting at your house for something to come on during. You maybe, gonna pop out of the cake for me? Maybe quail. With your Hemsworth body? <laughs> yeah. With my- <laughs> We're going to continue to follow that cyber attack on Twitter, too, just sticking with technology. The company has revealed that hackers targeted about 130 accounts during the breach, including a number of high-profile figures and companies. Twitter says it continues to assess whether hackers were able to access private data of those targeted accounts. Um, but, Joe, that's a smaller number than, than people might have anticipated because they were such high-profile uh, accounts. You know, at some point, somebody was saying every blue check mark was shut down. I think you were the one who told me that. I didn't realize it. Um, But it it was the very high profile accounts that these hackers really went after. I mean, I I started thinking about it uh, again when when people said, you know, we really need to monitor this more closely, given that there are employees that that have, I guess, potentially have access to these really important people's Twitter accounts. I mean, this was just an accident waiting (laughs) to happen. And, you know, as Twitter has gained more and more influence, especially and you got President Trump who uses it to, to reach, you know, in his words, to reach people that he can't reach because he, he thinks the mainstream media doesn't cover him fairly. So it's got and, and, and now it's every leader in the world. I think at some point, you know, you read the yeah. Dal- I think the Dalai Lama, the 12th son of the Lama. I he think does. I, actually. I follow him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, you know, everybody in the world might. And, and so if you have if you're just some guy, rank and file guy at Twitter that could put something in there. I mean, if, if you're 
planning to do evil. But that's my, a place. My guess is that for the heads of state, there's right. probably a very double, limited number right. of it's people, like, like the uh, of employees codes. that have access to that. Double keys or but something. still, the idea that that there are Twitter employees, there, there has to be at least a couple of them who have access to that. That's not something I think any of us had really contemplated before. The CDC announced it's going to ban U.S. cruises through September. The previous order was set to expire at the end of next week. And, and I wonder if they were booked. Um, there are a lot of people planning to go to the end of next week. My, my, my guess is the my guess is no, cheap. because earlier this week I got a call from Carnival offering me saying that I had won a free cruise. Um, yeah. I, I don't know how, but I'm the lucky one who won that. I can't imagine I'm the only one who got right. that phone call. Right. Second prize is two free cruises. That's the, like the old expression. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Not, not right. I don't think it's time yet for uh, to, to stick your toe back in the water, so to speak, for cruises. I, I don't know. Um, Airplanes, yeah. they've convinced me that the air is cleaner than, do you believe that now? The air is cleaner than what you breathe when you're walking around? It's been recirculated like nine times or something? I've never felt that way when I've been on a plane. I've, Pre-COVID, I was already like not thrilled about flying on planes at right. times just because recirculated air never. But, you know, I think the bigger problem you have is you're still on a tube with a bunch of people who are in there, and it depends on if they are safely wearing masks. We've all seen these stories about right. The pushback that's come from some customers or, 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 or customers who just like choose to, to put it over their over their eyes or over their throat or something instead. Um, and, and that would be a concern if you're sitting right next to somebody, right. uh, no matter where you are, if you're inside. But then know? on a cruise ship. I mean, you're... Yeah, the cruise ship is... Like, with the stories we've heard from that, that's a whole different game. Long because before COVID. there were countries that weren't letting these... Right, right. But there were countries that weren't letting these things dock during right. COVID. Until this is under control, you wonder how they ensure that you're going to be able to get to the ports you're supposed to be at in time if there right. is something that happens on it. But, yeah. But we've, you know, yeah. over the years, there's been, you know, how many different outbreaks of even different... Uh, you know, different, the norovirus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Next on Squawk Pod, BlackRock's leader Larry Fink weighs in on the uneven coronavirus economy. Large corporations have been able to fare basically better than the smaller organizations. And, and so we're witnessing an economy now that's really running very fast in some components of our economy and very slow in, in other areas. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. BlackRock is the world's largest asset manager, managing other people's money to the tune of $7.3 trillion, trillion with a T. The firm reported second quarter earnings this morning, and profit was up in Q2 after the volatile and grim ends to the first in March as the early days of coronavirus shutdown spooked investors. And BlackRock reported taking in $100 billion in net new money from clients this quarter. Asset managers have broadly benefited as the Federal Reserve has stepped in to stabilize markets, 
Higher asset prices mean more revenue from fees for those who oversee the portfolios. Founder, chairman, and CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink, joined us for an extended interview this morning. Here on the pod, we've teased out the highlights. Clients are confused. Clients have been witnessing extreme volatility, extreme emotionalism related to our pandemic and what it's doing to parts of our society. Uh, We saw a a dramatic decline in the market in the end of the first quarter. Now we've seen this dramatic rebound. Markets are still down anywhere from 4 to 11 percent worldwide from the start of the year. But clients have come to BlackRock more than ever before. They're looking for more contextualized information. They're looking for... uh, they're looking for a purpose in which how to, how to navigate around the markets. And, and I think um, uh, throughout the quarter, BlackRock has enjoyed deeper, broader relationships with their clients across the board. Uh, even in, in our retail platform worldwide, we were able to raise over $16 billion throughout the world in retail assets. More and more clients are looking for BlackRock to get information, to interpret the information for them and to help them invest their retirement savings or, uh, or investing for any purpose. And, and I believe that was one of the key characteristics of the quarter with $100 billion in net flows. Mm-hmm. Uh, Larry, it is kind of amazing. You now have $7.3 trillion in assets under management. So you have a really good idea about what investors are thinking at this point, what, what maybe the broad uh, overview is for these things that are happening. Uh, but Jamie Dimon earlier this week, when J.P. Morgan was out with its earnings, said that he thinks the entire recession has just been pushed back, that, that you could see bad things to come maybe towards the end of this year, uh, that all the fiscal stimulus, the monetary stimulus has kind of put off uh, what you would normally see. But there, there is real concern about a cyclical economic downturn happening as a result of the economic shutdowns. What, what do you think on that front? Well, we're, we are in an economic uh, downturn, but because of the great policy responses by governments worldwide, as you suggested, Becky, both fiscally and monetary, we have we have really stabilized major components of our economy. Corporations who had fear of accessing the capital markets were able to access, and so we saw large large fundings of debt and inequity to stabilize the, the our corporations worldwide. And so they're in a much better position. And I think what Jamie was saying and what the other side of the, the problem of the economy is we are still seeing major segments of the economy that still have not been able to reboot, whether that's entertainment or travel or restaurants, all the many components of the service side of the economy. And this has been very devastating to many small and medium businesses. And so this is one of the, the big issues we're confronting. Large corporations have been able to fare basically better than the smaller organizations. And, and so we're witnessing an economy now that's really running very fast in some components of our economy and very slow in, in other areas. And I think what we've witnessed with banks in the last few days in terms of the earnings and in terms of their provisioning, they, they're provisioning some, uh, some very large loan losses in their small and medium businesses. And that, that identifies why there's a need for another fiscal stimulus, which I know Congress is contemplating plating right now, there's a need uh, to, uh, to, um, to assist the, the economy for a little more time. At the same time, we need politicians, we need business leaders to show more compassion. We need to be more courageous. Um, there is 
we were witnessing many, many states reopening, but reopening without wearing masks. I mean, we need a world of compassion, and that compassion is meaning wearing a mask. And if we all wore a mask, if we all cared about our fellow citizens a little more, we will be resolving this crisis much sooner. And hopefully in fall, hopefully in winter or early next year, we're going to have some antivirals that will minimize the impact of the, the disease. And maybe sometime next year mm-hmm. we could even have a vaccination. But at this time, we are, we, are, we are witnessing a very uneven economy. And at the same time, though, investors sold large pools of equities in the first quarter. And then we had this big rebound. And, you know, year to date, there's still been net outflows and equities in front of this big equity rally that we've seen. And so investors are scrambling right now, looking to where to put their money. This is going to take many years to resolve, and we should be all aware of that. At the same time, I believe there's very good progress in our economies in the world. I actually believe we're all learning how to operate under COVID. BlackRock showed that we've been able to operate quite successfully with 99% of our employees working remotely. I'm actually in my office for the first time in four months today, and I actually enjoy it. I'm sure Joe enjoys being in the studio. (laughs) When you start thinking about those small and mid-sized companies, whether they can withstand uh, an extended downturn, extended time of either being shut down or not having the full customer capacity coming back, um, that's when I just wonder if, if it catches up to us at some point, are we looking at much tougher times, much tougher economy if some of that spirals, let's say the end of this year, the beginning of next year. And does the market reflect those concerns right now? Or do you think the market is right to think that the government and the the Fed are going to be able to carry us through no matter how long this lasts? I think if we can have a more compassionate society and we could all wear a mask, we could get through this much quicker. If we could do that, as I said, at the same time, we will have the development of antivirals that will minimize the severity of the disease, and we could have more normalization. If the disease continues to grow, if mortality rates you know, uh, grow from where they are today, then we're going to have to see a, another uh, shutdown of parts of our economy. And then the small and medium businesses, those, those organizations that you, you were speaking about, Becky, are going to have a harder time. Although it may seem like forever ago, at the beginning of this year, 2020, Larry Fink announced BlackRock would make investment decisions with environmental sustainability as a core goal. In his annual letter to fellow CEOs, Fink said climate change and combating it has become a defining factor in companies' long-term prospects and health. He spoke to Squawk Box after he released the letter. What we are saying here, we believe, under ERISA and maximization of return, we believe Uh, a portfolio that focuses on um, sustainability and climate change will be a portfolio that outperforms. So the main component of the letter is saying this is going to be a great investment over the next 10 years. And it will also help the planet. As part of that initiative, BlackRock said it would hold companies that it invests in accountable if they failed to make sufficient progress on climate action. Earlier this week, the firm published a report describing its investment stewardship action taken during 2020. And Fink made it clear that companies and their boards need to step up their game when it comes to sustainability disclosure and adequately managing risk associated with climate change. Here's Larry Fink. 
What we're witnessing worldwide is a surge of interest in clients looking to put money in more renewable components of energy. Uh, and, and that surge is going to continue. And so if you think about our, our energy network today, uh, we, we are, we, we're using now more renewable energy in the United States than coal. That's continuing to do that. We look at that as a good thing. So um, we're, we are, we are res- responding to our clients' wishes where they want our money, but, but, where they want their money to be placed. Larry, you're also, and, uh, you're also taking a, a role, a lead role yourself. You, you, took, you even point out that uh, you, you've identified 244 companies that are making insufficient progress integrating climate risk into their business models. We took voting action against 53. Yes. So you're actually you're, you're, you're doing certain things as an activist. And I'm just wondering whether... That's an Joe, appropriate, me, appropriate role for you. Would you do it for so, pro-choice Joe, versus... Let, go ahead. So let me tell you what we did. We, in, in my 2020 CEO letter, we asked for companies to report on TCFD and SASB. And many companies have not moved forward, and that's what we're asking them. We're looking for better tra- uh, transparency in how they are navigating their company, and that's what we're doing. We have not made big, bold uh, changes, but we're asking for better disclosure. And I don't think there's anything wrong about asking for better disclosure across the board. And I think going forward, we're going to, you know, we are seeing more and more companies doing that. And they're doing it because it's good business for them. You know, the one thing that is very clear in this COVID world that we're living in, beyond the sustainability world, Joe, Stakeholder capitalism is only going to become more and more important. And the companies that focus on all their stakeholders, their clients, their employees, the society where they work and operate, are going to be the companies um, that are going to be the winners for the future. And we do believe these issues around social issues and how they uh, operate, and this is why we ask companies to report under SASB, and under TCFD, so we can truly understand how they're navigating around um, right. this whole long-term trend of climate change. Right, but we believe more than ever before, Joe, that climate change is, in, is investment risk. And we're seeing that through our clients and how our clients are allocating capital. We're not denying capital to the energy companies. If, if our clients want to put money in, a, in the S&P or in a specific energy fund, we are not denying that. Do you think the it's- only segment the only segment where we said we're not investing it is in is in thermal coal. We are not denying investments in other components of hydrocarbons. We're working side by side with many of the great, great energy companies. And in many cases, some of the leaders of these great energy companies are trying to transform themselves and moving forward. Okay. And so I'm, I don't want to get into, involved in a political commentary, but much of what was said was so conflated. What we are doing is trying to move everybody forward, but we're not an activist. The, but, the, so the, but the Boyd and Gray piece. So it, w- w- then you're saying he conflated BlackRock with these banks. Do you think it's appropriate to, for banks to be cutting off capital to companies that are doing hydrocarbon exploration. Do you think there's a risk that we lose a lot of these very high-paying jobs, that, uh, that, that they're actually 
taking an activist role in, in picking winners and losers in what should be a free market decision on, on how we move forward. You, you said, oh, that's the banks doing it. We're conflating you with the bank. Do you think the well, banks should be doing it too, Larry, to, to, to affect some think, sort I don't of... Think, I don't think banks... I think banks are strong capitalist organizations. I think they also look that climate risk is investment risk. So they're navigating their portfolios. I, 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 you know, I don't want to respond to any one thing, but I believe they are very good at allocation of capital. They're actually withstanding uh, the, the COVID crisis very well, despite their reserves. I'm not here to dis- I don't know what they're doing in terms of withdraw- uh, 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 holding back capital. I, ca- I don't see that myself, but I can't respond to it. But I once again, if you tr- truly believe that climate risk is going to be an investment risk and you believe and you're trying to navigate your asset allocation, uh, that's a proper response. That is not that is not an antitrust issue. That is an investment decision. Okay, last interruption, I promise. To reduce the economic pain from the coronavirus pandemic, the Federal Reserve has enlisted BlackRock to direct three of its bond-buying programs. BlackRock has bought and is managing portfolios of newly issued bonds from U.S. companies, as well as portfolios of investment-grade bonds and ETFs, exchange-traded funds. BlackRock will also oversee the purchases of packages of mortgages on commercial real estate. Now, if you remember, this is not the first time the government has partnered with the asset manager. In the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis, the Fed turned to BlackRock then to oversee $130 billion in distressed debt formerly on the books of Bear Stearns and AIG. But back then, BlackRock wasn't nearly as large a force globally in finance as it is today. And its CEO's influence has certainly grown in that time as well. Now, let's get back to Larry Fink on crisis and how we get through it. I want to ask you about BlackRock being chosen by the Federal Reserve to oversee these three government bond buying programs. What can you tell us about what's happening with that program? And has it worked, had the intended effect of stabilizing the corporate debt market? Um, throughout the last uh, four months, BlackRock was uh, retained by five different governments to be working alongside with them and helping them develop uh, uh, policies to stabilize their economies. The specific programs that you're asking for have been highly effective, highly uh, successful. Um, we actually have, I, I think, just the, the announcement by the Federal Reserve about these programs. Way before we started initiating the purchase programs, these programs stabilized the corporate bond market. They have stabilized many other markets. Uh, corporations had, uh, who uh, in mid-March were frightened whether they had access to capital, within weeks after the Federal Reserve's announcement, were able to access capital, access the full amount of their need, and we stabilized many great American companies. Companies through the announcement of the Federal Reserve's programs and the and the programs that BlackRock was initiating over the course uh, over the course of the last uh, three four months. This is something that we're very proud of, Becky. You know, we we, we have um, our financial advisory group that was started in 1994. Uh, it is an organization that we, that that we are that we've built uh, uh, throughout the over the over the last 26 years. Uh, we we did. A, a great deal of work in the 2008 uh, crisis, and uh, and I think um, uh, it is because of our fiduciary culture 
It is because how strict we are in terms of containing information and firewall. I personally am not on that side of the wall, so I don't know what what we what <laughs> we were doing there. Um, but I do know um, in, in having my co- in conversations with the policymakers that they they're um, th- that the work that we've done has really helped in the designing the programs and in, in uh, implementing the programs. You know, no argument at all in terms of of the impact. I think it it has absolutely stabilized the bond market, as you mentioned, even from the Fed's decision on this. But it has been a little weird to to see some of the companies that are that are being bought. You know, companies like Walmart or Berkshire Hathaway or something. It, 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 it's funny to think of the Fed stepping in and spending money on those companies that that really don't need um, any help or assistance with some of these things. Is there? How do you go through? Is it just the idea that the government's there? They don't know the investors don't know where they're going, but they know they're going to be supporting things and nobody wants to fight the Fed at that point. How does it work? Well, I don't I, I think the, the objective is to stabilize the capital markets. So anybody who has the ability to access the capital markets can do that. Our, the idea was not mm-hmm. to pick winner and losers, but the but to protect jobs. This was a very different. Yeah. These are very different policies and programs than 2008. I mean, in the in the conversations I had back then and the conversation today, every program, everything we were trying to do is stabilizing markets so we could stabilize jobs, so we could protect America and build America back again. It wasn't like stabilizing financial institutions like was so which was what a major component of what was done in 2008 when they when the Federal Reserve had to buy out big blocks of assets from financial institutions. These policies and programs were to stabilize and to rebound America's economy. And I, I, I applaud um, um, our, our Treasury Department uh, uh, under Secretary Mnuchin and and uh, Chairman Jay Powell. They were uh, they had a lot of fortitude. They had a lot of strength and conviction, and I think the results speak for themselves. Larry, just going back to what happened in 2008 and 2009 versus what's happening right now, hard to compare. They're very different. But which do you think is a, is a more dangerous and, and deeper recession, what we saw then or what we could potentially see now? I think uh, our present uh, situation is far more difficult um, because it, it's touching so many parts of our economy, it's it and it, and the unequalness of how how it's impacting segments of the economy, the unequalness how it's impacting segments of of businesses, and I think it's very more. It's going to take a longer time to restabilize the entire uh, parts of our economy, restabilize the entire components of our society. I think this is just much more difficult because it's much more embedded in the in the base economy. It is not embedded in in, the, in one industry like housing principally was and financial institutions in 2008. This is embedded in our entire economy. This is this is much more psychological, too, because of the fear of the virus, the fear of health. This is an existential problem, too. So it's way beyond a financial crisis that we saw in 2008. And that's why I do believe it's going to take longer for us to find that stability because it has a real psychological impact on so many people. People feel unstable. They feel uncertain. They're looking for uh, uh, hope. 
And, and, and I do believe the policies of our governments. I do believe what we're doing. We're trying to find solutions and hope. And hopefully we do have those medical breakthroughs that that hope can be realized very rapidly. I, I just think back to all of the fallout from 2008 and 2009, the long-term implications from that, how entire generations were changed in their mentality about what they thought about the markets, about what they thought about jobs, what they thought about um, governments as a result. And, and we're still living with the after effects of that. What are the potential implications that, that you play when you look two, three, five years down the road from this situation? I think they're going to be dramatic. When you think about the young people who are joining firms, like at BlackRock, we have our training program this year remotely. Very different, uh, very different uh, results versus being in, in office working side by side with people. But think about these young people who are joining the workforce now. These are, they were quite young during 9-11 in the United States. They were young teenagers during the financial crisis. And now they're entering the workforce and we have COVID and they're working remotely. I believe their life's experiences are so vastly different than, well, my life experience. I was innocent uh, and had an idyllic childhood. I think the experience of these young people today are vastly different and their behavior is going to be different. And quite frankly, this is, you know, just getting back to what Joe was talking about related to sustainability and environmental. The young people in all our surveys are more vigorous in terms of the protection of the environment more than ever before. I think the existential risk of COVID, the, um, the racial inequalities that we've witnessed in the last two months, um, I do believe the younger generation is going to be more vigorous in terms of social issues and environmental issues. And I know that in BlackRock's own workforce. And, and this, is, this is not just going to be a slow change, but I actually believe we're going to see a, an accelerated attitude towards these issues. And I do believe we, this is why I've been so uh, vigorous in myself in making sure that BlackRock is as purposeful as we can be and why stakeholder capitalism has to become the, a major component of what every business leader is focusing on. Hey, Larry, would, have you talked to the Biden, uh, to the vice president or, or people around him about uh, Treasury Secretary? Would, would, would that be something that, that uh, we always ask you that. Uh, it's been how long has it been <laughs> since last time? <laughs> but, uh, would, would you, um, you, would, you would serve if asked, asked I'm, I'm sure. Joe, I am extremely happy with my job. I have never deviated from those views, and I'm happy where I'm sitting right now. Was that a no? Or, or you're, I, 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 if I were you, I'd be happy, too. How many trillion, Becky? What did you say? I, I, I lose count of it. But uh, Joe, I want, I, I want to continue to talk trillion. to you. I want to be more. On... We could talk more you're if you right. Treasury Secretary. We could talk I don't more. Know. We, and we call you Mr. Fink. Now, I, you, you still could call me Larry. No, you call him Secretary Fake. <laughs> Just as long as we call you for dinner. That's, that's great. We'll be right back. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Cannonball! Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. 
Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. That's the show for today. Thanks for listening to Squawk Pod today, this week, and every week. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. Subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you listen. Questions, comments, want to say hi? Find us on Twitter at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a good weekend. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.